Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. As our name makes clear, the New Books Network focuses on books. And as a host who looks at contemporary literature, I have the pleasure of interviewing authors with new books, ones often published by smaller presses without the huge PR machines of larger presses, and ones that consequently are often overlooked by large media outlets. For me, that's one of the rewards of hosting at the New Books Network. I have the chance to showcase important work that you might otherwise miss, work that adds to the richness and diversity of our national literary culture. Now, you might be thinking that I'm about to ask you for a donation. I'm not. Though, if you want to contribute to the New Books Network and its public mission to widen the intellectual life of America, by all means, please do so. We'd appreciate it. No, what I want to do is make the point that, while books from small literary presses are one place that our literary culture thrives, it's not the only one. Crucial to our national literature are the small journals and reviews that publish our writers. These venues, and there are hundreds of them in print and increasingly online, foster our younger writers and promote the work of our established ones, especially work that is non-commercial or experimental. Literary journals and reviews offer readers diverse voices and diverse aesthetics. They're the forum through which our literary culture thrives and expands and reinvigorates itself. And they are usually run by editors who work for almost nothing on almost nothing budgets. Editors who believe in literature as much as the authors they publish. Today, I talked to one of those editors. Tommy Mirai Lopez is the co-founder and co-editor of Territory, a new venue that has not only taken up the time-honored task of providing readers with new work from newer writers, but that's also creating something like a new micro-genre of literature one that combines visual maps and literary text. If you've ever found yourself looking at an old map and thinking how intriguing it is, or when reading a story, if you've ever imagined yourself picturing its imaginary landscape, you'll be excited to explore territory and the new terrains of literature it's fostering. Tommy Mira E. Lopez, welcome to the New Books Network. Oh, thank you, Eric. It's It's nice to be here virtually. It's good to have you. And, and in a second, we're going to talk about this, this enterprise that you've undertaken with uh, your fellow editor, Nick Greer. Um, but, but I'm just curious, right? So, so here we are. It's 2017. Um, the internet is, is full of people adding text, adding images. And, and you decided, you know, what we need to, to do is create a new website with a new literary project. So, so, how does one make that decision? Oh man, I think um, it was something that, that we originally made. Um, uh, my co-editor Nick and I—we've actually known each other since high school and happened to go to the same college together and the same graduate school. So we kind of um, always ended up in the same place, and it was a way for us just to kind of keep in touch. Um, originally, we conceived of it as a way to keep in touch just after after graduating. Um, and it sort of turned into, um, once we decided to do it and then kind of uh, have a couple more conversations about it, it turned into a much larger enterprise than I think we, um, or a much more time-consuming enterprise than we originally thought it was going to be. Um, but as far as, as a reason for starting an online literary journal, yeah, I guess there's, there's, there's oodles of us out there, which um, I think is a, re- a really cool thing for the most part. Um, what we wanted to do specifically with this one, with, with um, territory, is that, you know, obviously there's a lot of journals that are combining, um, say, like something like Diagram, they're combining with text and images um, or schematics and, and, and text. Um, but we kind of liked the fustiness um, of, of working with old maps um, and these kind of uh, these objects that you really think of something as, as sort of like um, tangible, tangible or, or kind of handheld or something like that. Um, and trying to translate that to, to digital sphere and kind of seeing what would happen. Um, 
and that's that's what got kind of once we agreed to do it kind of kicked us into gear and it, it, that's what we sort of took an interest in once we sort of made the plunge in the first place yeah, and I think we will we will get deep into maps and mapping, which I'm looking forward okay, to doing. Yeah. I do want to underscore for listeners who maybe not, might not know something about small literary magazine culture, um, about the, the kind of amount of work it takes to actually do these, um, the, the labor of love that's behind it. Uh, you know, as somebody who's worked on a number of magazines uh, – you know, maybe you could start us off with, you know, is your operating budget in the the tens of thousands? Is it in the hundreds of thousands? <laughs> yeah, um, I, we actually we have a budget page that I've been very bad about. Not, I want to say that we're in. We must be over a thousand by now. It was if I had known how much work it would have been, I would have given it more pause. Um, but yeah, it's a lot. I mean, it comes from like website hosting or Square Pit, Squarespace, or just you know opening up a submittable page or. Um, uh, you know, just kind of mailing, um, mailing maps to contributors, uh, you know, mailing different objects to contributors, it, it, it adds up or mailing out to, you know, sort of, um, the best American series or something like that. Everything, everything kind of adds up, but, um, it's definitely a lot more work than, than I had ever anticipated, but it's, it's fun work. Yeah. It, it's labor. It's, it's, it's just love. I mean, so let me say this clearly for since I've been hitting at it. These are these are, you know, people who do these sorts of magazines like like Tommy and Nick, you've got they're working for free. Basically, people are submitting more or less for free. Um, the amount of work each issue takes is probably about the equivalent to editing a book. Um, so you can translate, you know, there are presses in which this is an entire jobs and production teams, but but here you've got two guys and a handful of editors putting out an entire book's worth of, of work, um, you know, with each new issue. Um, and so, so there's gotta be a real drive behind this being something that's worthwhile and important. And as you just, uh, mentioned somehow maps, maps are the thing that, that, uh, is, is driving this one forward. So, so tell us a little more about the conception behind the magazine and, and the idea, um, of it. Yeah, I think, I mean, so we, uh, we were originally thinking of it as, um, just kind of that basic duality of, of, you know, the saying or the idea that the map is not the territory, right. That, so that any, um, representation of a reality kind of fails to capture that reality or alters it in some way or changes it or kind of, you know, manipulates it whether knowingly or not, um, and we were basically just interested in that idea um, with sort of the obvious comparison with, with writing, right? Um, or or um, a written work doing that same thing for the experience or the, you know, truth or whatever it tries to capture. Um, and we thought, we thought that could be kind of a, a, an interesting tension um, to kind of explore, to ask our contributors to explore. Um, and at the same time, it's just sort of like, I think Nick and I both kind of say it to each other. Like we, we really like maps. We love maps. We have no you know real idea why we haven't really kind of interrogated that fully. Um, or we didn't interrogate it fully when we started the journal, but it was just sort of, um, I mean, they're, they're obviously kind of rich, um, visually stimulating objects. And just so the idea of, um, we're also interested in there is just kind of giving writers we like, um, that kind of freedom to explore, um, say giving them a map and then asking them to write a story that takes place within that map. Right. So it's already kind of implying a movement or a narrative or, um, to write an essay or a piece of creative nonfiction that sort of, um, explores the map at, um, its historical time and place and what sort of thinking, um, that map is doing and what it says about, um, how the map maker, or how the society around the map maker conceived of the world or conceived of that place. Um, it just seemed to lend itself to kind of a lot of really rich, um, opportunity for, writers just to kind of have fun with it and, and kind of work at tension with the map or kind of work in accordance with the map, depending on, on what they've chosen. Um, and, and sort of on a meta level to all of that, I think when we first started out, we were like, okay, we're going to give, you know, writer X map a, and they're going to do this, this, and this with it, because that's what this map seems to invite them to do. And then writers would start to not do that. They'd start to kind of, um, mess with our own expectations or subvert them. And, and that seemed sort of part of the fun of the project as well, right. To kind of give them um, this object, expect one 
sort of result or reality to to come out of it and then have something completely um, that kind of undercuts us in its own sort of kind of intriguing way. So it sounds like at, at its core, the the idea of the magazine is that maps are muses. I guess you could. Yeah, <laughs> I hadn't thought of it that way. Um, yeah, or maybe maps are the little it's the little angel or wind in the corner blowing the, you know, blowing the ship across the sea or something. I don't know. Um, but yeah, it's sort of, it's, yeah, the, as maps as muses in a way of, uh, yeah, an invitation for, for further thinking and imagination or something like that. Um, yeah, I think that's a, that's a great way of putting it. I hadn't, I hadn't really conceived of it that way. And, and you, in the mission statement or, uh, for territory, right, um, you've touched on this a little, but I think we should circle back to it. You, you say that sort of the main idea that's driving the magazine is that, that maps contain these paradoxes of representation. Could you tell us a little bit more about what the nature of that paradox is? Yeah. Um, the paradoxes of representation. So the yes. map, the map is not the territory. What would that mean for somebody coming to it fresh, right? I, I click on the link here in this podcast. I'm like, I'll check this out. And, and I have this sense of what the map is. And suddenly I'm looking at this, you know, 1931 quote by Albert Grabisky and, yeah. and, you know, what, what is that tension that you were talking about between map and territory? So this is this might be a roundabout answer, but um, so I think we're thinking of it in terms of um, there's that old, not old, but there's the Borges story. I think it's on on exactitude and science, right? Um, and it's about uh, a, a map that's a one to one representation of the territory, right? That has everything down that that represents everything down to the you know the the very most minute detail, and then kind of becomes more minute and more minute. Um, and that's basically like an, an, an impossibility, right? Um, so what we, the idea of, yeah, the map um, not being the territory, I mean, at least to me, and I, I don't know if Nick would agree, is, is that it um, necessarily kind of like alters or shapes um, a reality or a physical space, um, often according to, I mean, at least in my opinion, to that map's maybe like kind of colonialist um, or, or arterial motives, right? So if you'll have... Um, say early maps of South America will have the coast or early maps of Africa will have the coast really kind of well outlined um, with sort of uh, you could have a portal on, right? A sea chart that'll show um, maybe exact landing spots and ports um, to land in. And then the interior um, will be completely kind of undefined and will include sort of, you know, almost magical or fantastic um, kind of caricatures or, or um, characters in it. Um, and my assumption is that to the people creating the map, you know, that's, that's the information that matters. That's the reality that matters that, that, um, you know, how to get from, you know, say point A to point B to be able to trade or to be able to, you know, ship goods or, you know, humans or whatever. Um, but it's also creating a, a, a reality or a conception of the world, but also denying, um, or altering another one, um, and I think that's I, 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 that always kind of interested me. But yeah, the, the 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 people that are living in the center of that unmapped territory would not recognize that map as being accurate of their reality, right? And they would have completely different maps of you know maybe not even um, you know maps using using spatial representation, maybe a you know um, a map in the form of. I'm just going off the cuff here, but a map in the form of a story or a map in the form of a song, right? They, they would have maybe a different um, way to represent the, the, you know, physical landscape in which they live. Um, and so, yeah, those two realities being in, in um, contrast, but yeah, just the basic idea that any, um, I mean, even our roadmaps or, um, you know, the, the famous example of the Mercator map of the world, right. That completely alters, um, the actual dimensions of the continents. It makes Europe much bigger than it is. It makes Europe, uh, makes Africa smaller than it is. Um, those sorts of ideas that, that whatever we're doing, um, whatever rep we're representing, um, we are altering or, or twisting reality 
And often it's because we have some sort of uh, motive or, or, or mindset that, that goes with our conception of the world behind it. Interesting. So, so is, is territory a place, you know, there's the sense that, that maps are the through line um, mm-hmm. for this journal. Is, is, it a, is it a space where, where we believe in maps and mapping? Is ah. it where where maps are are objects of credulity? Um, you know, the, the map is this kind of time honored epistemological object of of getting by in the world, and and I think you're bringing up um, this interesting way in which we should we should be suspicious of them, right? Uh, as you were giving your explanation, I was thinking of the opening of the Heart of Darkness, where. Marlowe says this too was once one of the dark places of the earth. And, and there's that scene later where um, he looks at the map. Um, I think it's the, the Belgium trading company, right? Or at least it's fictional equivalent. And, and there's, uh-huh. there is Africa outlined along the coast. And then there's just the blank spaces of the map yeah, on yeah. the inside and the old crone rocking in the corner. <laughs> oh God. Um, there's actually, this is, this is perhaps an aside. Yeah. I remember one of my favorite map stories is, um, uh, I think his name is Clapperton. I can't remember. Um, I think a Scottish explorer working for Britain, wanting to find the Niger River. Um, and I think being in Sudan and talking to the Sultan of Sudan, and um, they want to find the Niger River because if they can find the Niger River, that that meets up with the Nile, and so that's another way of getting from, like, say, the Gulf of Guinea um, to. It's a way of trans. Um, it's a way of transporting goods and men um, from there to the Nile and then, you know, back up to the Mediterranean. And the Sultan draws him a line in the sand. That's the actual accurate, um, uh, you know, map of the Niger River. And then kind of erases it and, and Clapperton stays and keeps trying to get, you know, access to the map. And finally, the Sultan just makes up this map and gives him this kind of fake thing. Um, that doesn't, that doesn't, um, that doesn't lead to it all. And actually the Niger river never even, even, I don't think meets the Nile at all. Um, where am I going with this? Um, but yeah, it's, it's a sort of, I guess to go way back to your question. Um, I think it's sort of kind of both sort of, I think maps are beautiful. I mean, I, I love them. I'm kind of fascinated by them, but I'm also kind of repulsed by them at the same time, if that, if that makes sense. Um, or I think they're, I mean, they're, they're very problematic sort of representations. Um, and so I guess part of the journal is how do we, um, how do we treat them or honor them as problematic um, and, and kind of kind of reown them in a certain sense. Somehow recuperate them and well, in, in one way, turn them into an aesthetic object, right? Yeah. Or, <laughs> or if, um, if, yeah, if, if, if so, if maps are reducing or distorting um, or caricaturizing certain, you know, territories or cert, uh, certain, you know, spaces or landscapes, um, then asking contributors to, you know, treat the map as that landscape um, almost itself, right? So, so what maps did the landscapes we can then ask, um, or what maps did the territories we can then ask contributors to do to the maps, right? Um, and see which, in what ways they can be kind of taken back or kind of parsed or dissected or... Um, and still treat it as, you know, these sort of beautiful aesthetic objects at the same time. Fascinating, fascinating. Well, so give us a sense of, of, of what this actually plays out when you, you get the pieces that come in. Um, so you have these, these interesting topics that, that foreground the map, right? Utopia, underworlds, uh, treasure and prisons are coming up, Arizona. Yeah. Uh, which seems to be an outlier in those things. So, so yeah. can you give us uh, just a sense of, you know, what your contributors do um, when suddenly they have these maps and you know, you're waiting for the material to come back in and then it arrives. Yeah. It, that's, that's the most fun part too. It was all kind of fun, but that's, that's just, um, that's a thrill to get someone to. Um... Yeah. So what, so what happens is, um, yeah, we come up with a theme for the issue. We have kind of a whole kind of rolling Google Doc and then sort of cross-reference. And then once we agree on some things, um, we'll go from there and we'll try to collect, um, kind of just hunt about and pick about for maps that might fit it, um, might fit that theme. And then we start, yeah, contacting. We used to be not open. We used to only contact people because it's such a sort of niche or um, specialized journal. But now we're sort of, we've opened up for submissions um, 
which has actually been really exciting as well. Um, but yeah, we'll, con- we'll, we'll contact, you know, writers we like or writers um, that we know that we've um, have sort of written about that theme or, or, or theme, uh, seem interested in, in exploring that theme. Um, and yeah, once we do that, we kind of give them a, uh, we, you know, we take them to our website, our preview page and show them the sort of rosters, you know, 10 to 12 maps um, we've collected and asked them to choose one um, that hasn't been chosen before and, and just say, you know, do whatever you want with it. Um, and, you know, kind of check back in a while later and, and, and see what they have. Um, and that's led to some really fun stuff. Um, so I think for, what do I, um, in, in Underworld, so that's our second issue. So that came out, we just started in May of last year. Um, and so Underworlds came out, I believe, in August of 2016. Um, we had uh, the writer Emily Temple, who's um, a fiction writer um, and a really great short story writer. Um, she was doing a map of, of Plan of the Peak Cavern, um, just sort of this old map of an underground cavern that we found. Um, and she started following the map. The map is sort of divided up into sections, I think like A through, you know, H or A through M or something like that. And so she divided the story she was telling up as movement through those different sections, right? Each letter corresponds to a different part of the map. Um, but what's really cool, um, the, the story she wrote, uh, there, there tends to be this voice that kind of seeps into it. Um, the voice of this kind of old crone character, um, that's uh, sort of seeping in in kind of subversive, unexpected ways throughout the story. And at first, when she turned this in, I was like, what, what, what the heck is she doing? Um, why is there this, you know, sort of alternate voice kind of coming in here, sort of disrupting the narrative and the flow of what we, of what's, you know, a really good, a very good story. Um, and I looked more closely at the map and there's this text, it's this kind of this old kind of crappy photocopy of this map. And you can see the text um, on the other side. Uh, mirrored on the other side, um, kind of very faint. You can't make out the words, but you can tell that there's text and it's just sort of a poor photocopy. And she had gone with that idea um, of having this kind of alternate voice sort of work its way in um, to add some, you know, tension or opposition to the narrative. And it was just, I thought it was, it was, it was such a neat, um, it was a really cool idea. And, and what sort of gave me a lot of joy about doing it as an editor is, is, is knowing that that's something that um, if we hadn't asked her to do this, that that wouldn't have been done, you know, kind of knowing that idea that you have this um, one kind of precious little thing that exists in the world or exists in the, you know, the digital atmosphere um, because you asked someone to do it. Uh, and then we tried further in, in our design of the story as well to, to um, recreate that mirroring or almost hidden text. Um, so when you read her story, that, that alternate voice that comes in, that voice of the old crone, first comes as um, sort of mirrored, uh, mirrored writing, mirrored sort of faint writing, and you have to sort of hover over it to, to see what it's actually saying. And on the iPad, you have to click on it, and then oh, it, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it gets yeah. rid of the the source text, and then suddenly, yeah. and it's also written backwards as though it was literally under as though the iPad screen were a page and you could faintly see through the iPad onto the back of a piece of paper. Um, so it's very clever in its design. And that's all, that's all my, uh, Nick Greer, my co-editor is the design. He taught himself a, a ton, um, to be able to do this. And yeah, that was, that was all him. Um, and I'm glad, I'm glad to hear it's working on the iPad. I hope it's working on the iPhone, but we'll, we'll see. Well, let's, let's circle back to this, this idea of, um, that you're, as editors, you're engendering pieces that wouldn't otherwise exist. Uh, I think the, that the MO for most literary magazines out there from ones readers might have heard of, like, you know, the Paris Review and things like that, to, to even smaller ones is that there are submission periods. Maybe every once in a while there's an issue that has a theme, uh, mm-hmm. you know, politics now or something like that. But for the most part, the idea is that writers create their stuff. They send it in, editors look over the material that they've submitted, pick, you know, what they find to be the best or the most pertinent for their, their particular venue, and then they publish it. Um, it's a little bit different to think about having an editorial hand to be in the, the generation of material. Yeah, and I realize that it's, um, it asks a lot of, of, contributors, I, I realized too. Um, 
and because, you know, we, we run, I think, three issues a year and we're never kind of um, as far ahead of the game as, as we mean to be. Um, and yeah, we, we hope, I mean, we like to term it as sort of, you know, it, it's, it's as much as writing can be this, you know, sort of a, a fun experiment. Um, and yeah, it feels, um, I mean, our hope is that, or my hope is that, um, I, I think there is a difference between just, you know, contacting someone and saying, Hey, can you send us work in and, and, and contacting someone and say like, Hey, we, you know, we thought of this just for you. Um, or, or we thought of this just for you, you know, among some other people as well. Um, and yeah, we do try to take, um, you know, we kind of try to take, try to be there kind of, um, you know, most steps of the way, whether that's through, you know, kind of working on, um, working with contributors on the design of their piece, right. And getting their feedback, getting their input, um, and, you know, working through that, working through them uh, about like what they might do, um, as far as the prompt. Um, I found that, you know, some people, I think it, I think it all depends on the writer too. Um, but some people love it and are happy to run with it. You know, it's sort of when you're in a, say a creative writing workshop and you assign students, um, you know, craft assignments or short assignments to, to write, you know, based on a prompt and, and some people love running with it and, um, and, and other people that's not their, not really their process as much, which is, you know, which is absolutely fine. Um, so yeah, it is, it is an, um, that's, I think, I hope, you know, where we try to distinguish ourselves from other journals as well is, is that it's something where it's, it's, you know, not just one more place to send work, um, but a place that's, um, asking for a specific type of work or a specific type of um, process in, in, in creating that work. Um, and that kind of makes us more limited in a lot of ways, right? We can't really, um, you know, an open submission period for a map themed journal is not the same as, as just for an online journal. Um, but it, I think it kind of en- encourages some cool results um, that, you know, ask maybe people to step outside of their comfort zone a little bit. Um, and, and that experiment to me is actually, you know, really fascinating to kind of to be along for, for most of those steps. Yeah. I, I think for me, one of the reasons I was um, so pleased to be able to have you on the show is that, that it's almost as though territory is in engin- is engendering a micro genre, right? Like there, there, yeah. there are a few, well, I guess it depends on how you look at it. Right. But there are a few intentionally literary uses of maps in, in the history of English literature and, and mm-hmm. European literature, um, you know, most recently, there was that um, a history of remote islands that I will never visit, or something like that. Yeah, was, the fifty remote islands, Jude Shalansky. Yeah, a beautiful, beautiful piece. Um, and this is really this these these hybrid works of maps that that had a, a purpose that was utilitarian, usually um, mm. or explanatory, and then an imaginative fusion or hybrid that takes place in a digital environment that reinvents both. Um, and, and it's, you know, there, there's not much happening in the world of literature that's doing something kind of this interesting. And, and, um, and so, so there is something wonderful about the pieces that come out of it. Um, it's not as though, you know, I, I, I salute anybody who's running a small literary magazine, having been in the basement reading submissions myself. Um, <laughs> right. But, but, you know, it's, it, it's basement. Yeah. usually the table of contents is poetry, fiction, nonfiction, right? The, you yeah. see those three things over and over again. And, and all these people are doing this wonderful work to get, get, you know, literary instances of that out into the world. But here you're seeing things that, that you're not going to find elsewhere. I'm wondering if, is there another piece that comes to you that kind of, typifies or exemplifies the sort of work that you're hoping to to capture and foster yeah it's sort of um we're hopefully planning more of this for the future um i'm thinking of so we're we're one of the other kind of goals we've set ourselves um is to have sort of what we termed um special inserts um in in some of the future issues and we we tried that first one for um our third issue uh, on arizona which we we mostly chose because um well, we, we know the place we both went to school there. Um, you know, we're kind of fascinated by the state in a lot of ways and, and, um, you know, know a lot of people who are doing really interesting work about that state. Um, and there's a a couple pieces from there that, um, so this is the first time we, we tried sort of maybe a special project within an issue, you know, besides just kind of, um, pairing maps with, uh, writers. And this is, we sent, um, 
ultimately to, to six writers. We just sent them kind of your standard Rand McNally um, roadmap of Arizona um, and asked them to, you know, over this is over the summer to take a trip or not take a trip, but use only that map and kind of, um, you know, use it almost as uh, sort of a palimpsest, you know, a way to, you know, put your own notes on it or, you know, describe your route or something like that and, and kind of having no idea what would happen, but sort of, you know, contacted six writers um, that we know and like and said, you know, here's, we're going to send you the map. We're going to send you a little kind of road trip package. I think I sent them, you know, maybe sunflower seeds and a Slim Jim um, <laughs> and mailed it off to them and, and um, asked them to, you know, use only the map, write about whatever it is they experienced and, and, and come back with it. Um, and that turned into some really cool stuff. I mean, some, um, uh, you know, some people we, we I think we sent um, to one contributor, um, Demery Wilson, who is like, okay, I'm staying in Tucson. You know, this is where I'm going. Um, and then another one, uh, Mike Powell, who goes to uh, Lockyell, Arizona. Um, you know, he goes up, he gets the map, he goes to the Map and Flag Center um, in, in Tucson, which is actually a real store, and then and then decides to kind of take this trip and um, just writes about his experience. Um, and so that, that was sort of fun to do to kind of take, um, again, to take sort of this, this very analog thing, right. Or this, you know, kind of fusty thing, this idea of a roadmap and how do you, you know, unfold a roadmap in your car while you're still trying to get somewhere. It seems, you know, horribly inconvenient in this day and age. Um, and to ask, yeah, to ask contributors just to, you know, we had, we had no idea what the consequences would be or, or what the results would be, but just to ask them to kind of, um, mess with it. Um, and then another, sorry, another example real quickly from that issue, um, it's just a fantastic piece by um, Francisco Cantu, um, who worked, and I, I'm thinking of this as actually really getting, um, being a better illustration of, of the map not being the territory um, than, than what I was able to muster. Um, but he worked as a, a border patrol agent um, for, I believe, four years or so. Um, and so the piece that he, he sent in to us um, he's basically taking two types of maps. Um, one is sort of the, uh, the official, um, or one of the official maps of deaths at the border, right. Or deaths of migrants crossing the border. Um, uh, I believe from humane borders and each map, each death is represented by just a small red dot. Um, so you can kind of see this sort of Southern Arizona landscape and just these really abstract kind of impersonal red dots, just absolutely, um, you know, at times just filling the landscape. Um, and he took that map and then he compared it to when he was a border patrol agent. Um, he made a lot of hand-drawn maps, you know, sort of as notes. He's going around in the car with this, you know, commanding officer and, um, he's drawing maps as a way to kind of understand the terrain on a new level. And, um, there's all these kind of mythical or fanciful names for, um, the landscape that he's in. And he's, he's looking at both of these maps and kind of comparing the two of them, um, and they, and they both seem very unsatisfactory to him because the one is, you know, it's, it's a useful map. It's a helpful map. It, you know, it tells you where the deaths are, where the water drops are, um, and all those things, but it, it really, it makes death this kind of really abstract thing. Um, you, you don't have a full scope of, of, you know, the human stories with it. And then he looked at his hand-drawn maps, um, and that to him seemed to render, uh, render the place maybe like too mythological, um, or, or too mythical, right? You know, so sort of things like, you know, Dead Man's Peak or, you know, Hollow Pass or Spooky Forest, you know, sort of names like that um, didn't really do full justice to, you know, the lives at stake there. Um, and what's fascinating about the piece is he's sort of imagining how each of these maps gets at, um, gets at one sort of idea, but really fails to render the reality of that territory in full. Um, and at the end, he sort of, he ends it with sort of um, a hope for a new sort of map, right? That can both render the deaths, but also the human stories behind those deaths and the names behind those deaths as well. Um, uh, sort of maybe almost a combination of the two maps. And it's, it's, um, it's really fascinating. It's just not something, you know, he just, he, um, this is not something we asked for. It's just something that he had, um, or we asked for it, but, but um, he took it in this direction. Um, and yeah, so, so both those examples, I think sort of get at what we're interested in. It's, it's an amazing piece. It's, yeah, I think it shows what, what I'm going to keep calling a new micro genre can do. I, I, it's stunning. And, um, I'll see if we can link directly to it, but what, people will find it. They should find it. Uh, well, well, let's say a little more about Arizona. So if I was somebody thinking about imaginative maps, 
you know, keywords like utopia, underworld, treasure would would come out. Oh, yeah, I can see how yeah. that would be a way to be creative with maps. But Arizona and prisons, that seems like a, a map of a different order. Yeah, I think I think Arizona. So I want to say. I want to say it might have been Nick that 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 thought of both of those. Um, I think Arizona might have been on a brief. I think we thought we could do the Sufjan Stevens thing where you have a, an issue for each state. Um, that was a very and then you die. And then, then, yeah, <laughs> then we realized we'd beat that at, at our current pace. Um, we'd get to Delaware and then <laughs> game over. Um, but yeah, I think as, as far as Arizona, I think we were interested and in, we didn't end up ultimately doing it, but was um, because the idea of Arizona or, or what, what's constituted Arizona has, of course, obviously changed. It's not always been a state. It was a territory. Um, it was unincorporated ter- territory. It was part of Mexico. Um, it was not part of Mexico. Um, and so we were thinking about having a map of each um, sort of, uh, I want to say like geologic layer of Arizona, but that's not, that's not correct. But almost, almost um, having one sort of great cross section of, of you know, Arizona 10,000 years ago, Arizona 1,000 years, years ago, Arizona 500 years ago, um, and sort of organizing the issue that way. But it ended up being very much um, kind of place-based, um, obviously. I mean, it's, it's about Arizona, which was, was, again, for us, maybe a new constraint. And, and I think we lucked out in that we already had um, – we chose it knowing that, that we would be able to get in touch with a bunch of people that um, were writing about Arizona that, that we really um, – who we really admired as writers. Um, we wouldn't have really been able to do that, I think, for, for North Dakota. Uh, I mean, although maybe we should. Um, so yeah, we we chose it knowing it would be sort of a different constraint, or, or kind of we wanted to sort of switch up um, sort of the themes of the first two issues to try something else and, and see what that constraint would would get us. Um, as far as prisons, yeah, uh, I think what's what's maybe interesting about those maps is they're all really like most of what we found, and maybe that's to be expected, but they're really you know very kind of schematic and. Um, you know, almost monochromatic, um, or, or black and white. Um, and which, which I guess goes align, aligns with the idea of, 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 yeah, what we would expect a prison map to be. Um, what's interesting about that as well. And I think one of the struggles we came up with is, is it's not very you know easy to find, say a map of a contemporary, you know, private prison or something in the United States. Right. So a lot of the maps that we did take from, um, were sort of, uh, you know, say a 19th century insane asylum or, um, you know, a, a sort of theoretical 17th century prison or, or you know, Elba, you know, Napoleon's, um, uh, you know, the island of Napoleon's exile or something like that. Um, so there, I think we've been sort of struggling with finding kind of um, contemporary versions of that, but, but we're sort of working towards it. And and what did, what do maps reveal about prisons? I mean, you know, they seem like you know i mean the dream of the prison is the dream of total control of someone else uh total surveillance right that since foucault i guess um yeah and and so kind of mapping the possibilities of lived existence i think um so this is we've actually been having um you know, a discussion about this with, uh, we, we just took on, um, two other poetry editors, um, or two poetry editors. And this is the, the first issue they'll be working on is, is the prison's issue. Um, so yeah, I think one of the things we've been having a discussion about, um, lately, and I think, I think prisons is, I would want to say, you know, maybe besides utopia or, or our current dystopia, um, is to me, at least maybe the most topical um theme that we've chosen so far in that obviously prisons um in 2017 in the united states are, are, are um is very emblematic of um a lot of the societal problems that we have or, or the way that we conceive of them and the way that we treat the people in them or, or who we put in them and, and and how long we put them in there for um and how often it now seems like we execute them um it seems very, I think one of the things we've been struggling with this issue is, yeah, it seems very much, um, at least for me, when I'm, when planning it, it's like, how can we not talk about exactly everything, um, right now 
here in the United States when we're organizing this issue. Um, but yet the maps we've chosen for it um, kind of get at a lot of different prisons, right? The, the typical um, you're in prison for a crime or, you know, something like that. But then also, uh, you know, a prisoner of war or um, the, idea, the idea of, uh, you know, an insane asylum being perhaps a sort of prison, right? Um, or the idea of certain countries, um, being prisons, right? Um, you know, we're thinking of, of, you know, North Korea or something like that. Um, and the idea of, of sort of more abstract prisons, right? Like being, um, the, the prison of addiction, this is, you know, from our language on, on our website, but the, the prison of addiction or the prison of, of being in the closet or the prison of, um, you know, financial debt. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's been, at least for me, maybe, um, one of the, one of the places that maps seem to maybe capture the least, um, because there may be so many different ways to conceive of it. Um, so yeah, I'm curious what will happen. Yeah. I think that, that there is the, the moment where, you know, the, the word becomes metaphor, right? Right. Yeah. Of X, yeah. The prison of Y, the treasure of this, the treasure of that. Um, yeah. and, and sort of the nice thing I think about the map is that it does ask, usually in its very nature for a kind of concretized representation of a physical reality. Uh, you know, there are, there are fantastical maps, certainly. Um, but the, the map as science that tends to inform so many of the pieces um, has that gravitational pull in the direction of good Lord, the real, right? <laughs> yeah. Right, yeah. Uh, well, I, I did before we have a stop, stop talking about this, this great enterprise that you're, you and Nick have undertaken. Um, I was hoping you'd say something about kind of the nature of your contributors, because one of the things that strikes me is that there are a lot of young, exciting voices. Um, so another thing for, for listeners who are perhaps aren't as familiar with the literary scene is that, that you know, some of the, the more time-honored literary magazines out there, you see names that you already know. Um, here's a story by Joyce Carol Oates, right? Here's another essay by Stephen Burkowitz or something like that. Um, and, and here, you know, I think that readers that come to it, they're going to encounter voices that they might not have encountered elsewhere. So I'm curious as to whether or not, uh, you and Nick are intentionally fostering younger voices, um, or, or that's just happenstance because you, you both are younger voices that are coming forward. Um, but, but that to me is also one of the appeals of the magazine is that I'm encountering writers sometimes for the first time and, uh, getting this, this new sense of perspective and artistic vision. Yeah. Uh, I should say if choice Carol Oates wants to send us a story, <laughs> we're, we're here. Dear Joyce, if you're listening, <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I think, I think it reflects, um, yeah, I think a lot of it is, is maybe who we're reading. Um, and, uh, whether that's, you know, someone with a book or not to someone we've read in, um, you know, a, a journal, I think of, uh, say from our, our latest issue, uh, the, the open issue, um, Kendra Atley work, um, is someone whose work I'm familiar. I know she's, um, also kind of a young emerging up and coming, um, essayist and nonfiction writer, but I read her work, I think in, in maybe the pinch and, and, um, she was anthologizing best American essays and just thought it was just, um, just a fantastic writer. Um, and yeah, so I guess, I guess we are trying whether consciously or not. Um, I think it's really, you know, people who were reading, um, book level or, or, or journal level, um, and, and thinking they might be a fit. Um, and, you know, some of it is also thinking of, of, you know, I've worked for journals in the past, um, who's come through there that I've, I've, um, you know, really admired or, or some of it also comes from, you know, reading, of course, like other journals online, um, and, you know, having a contributor to that, that sticks with you. And you also think, okay, maybe, um, maybe this person would be down for something that, um, would be down for sort of the experiment that we're, that we're trying to foster. Um, so yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd like to think that I also, um, I, I understand as well. I think part of it is, um, you know, asking people to take on a project sort of outside of what they're doing right outside of their job or outside of the novel they're working on or, or, or the poems they're working on. Um, 
requires a lot as well. You know, it, it is, it is definitely an undertaking. Um, and I don't know, maybe I haven't thought about it, but maybe there's something there with, with, as far as targeting younger writers um, or emerging writers that that's, um, maybe something they have the time to, to take on more so than, than, um, others, but I, I don't really know. I can't, I can't speak with authority on that. Are, are you seeing, I don't know, are you, are you seeing any concerns or, or recurrent questions or, um, I don't know, thematics that are coming up with emerging writers that, that you aren't seeing, say, from somebody who would have a sense of what, what contemporary American literature is through the New Yorker? I think some of our writers would, would intentionally fit terribly in the New Yorker, would never you know, work there or something. And I think, I think other writers would, um, will probably end up there. I don't know. Um, so I think we, I don't know. I think we try, I think it's led to some sort of, it's almost like, um, you know, a musical band that has say like a cowbell and a cello in it at the same time. I think some, and I think it's part of the fun so far of having some of these issues that we have very, um, we've had contributors that taken it in, in, in widely, widely, um, different directions. And I think that maybe speaks back to like Nick and I having a similarity in reading interest, but also having a divergence there. And that, that might be reflected in that. I don't know. I, I don't, I would hesitate to say that, that these contributors are doing something that, that other contributors could not, um, or other writers would not. I mean, yeah, they're maybe open to thinking about the interplay of their writing with, with that sort of visual text. Um, and I, I think some, yeah, I think some writers wouldn't do that. Um, and that wouldn't be part of their process or that wouldn't be something they're interested in. Right. Um, so I think you, yeah, you have to be very much down to, um, to know that your text will appear and sort of mesh, um, with, with that visual object, um, or that map. And yeah, I, I don't think everyone is, is open to that. Yeah. I think it probably, you'd have to have at least a, a basic comfort with being, being made digital at the very right. least. Yeah. 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 We've, yeah, we've had a, we've had a wrangle. Um, they've been good sports, but we had a wrangle a couple, some people into, into being okay with digital. Yeah. And I, you know, I'm not trying to get you to speak for the zeitgeist. I think there's, there's always just something worth asking about our writers who are in their, their twenties and thirties crafting yeah. a vision of American literature that might be different from eminent writers in their fifties and sixties and seventies. Um, yeah. and what's emerging. And, and I think, you know, territory is going to be one of the places where we see that happening. We, we hope so. Um, yeah. And part of that too is I think it was making me think of, um, we're, we're not, we're not totally done with it yet, but, but we're going to be, I think publishing a piece in, in treasure. That's, I want to say it's about 10,000 words long. Um, which to me, you know, as, as someone who does enjoy, you know, reading digital and print, I'm just thinking, oh my gosh, how can we, how can we ask someone, how can we ask readers to, to stick with something that's 10,000 words long? And, and we're sort of been kind of film, or thinking about different ways um, to make that a reading experience that's inhabitable and pleasurable online, um, whether that's through breaking it up in different, I mean, this is maybe, a, you know, to me, this is a story is like, oh, you could put that in the New Yorker or something. I don't, you know, I'm not Deborah Treisman. I don't, I mean, I don't know. I won't speak for that. Um, but we're sort of thinking of, yeah, how do we, how do we translate um, these sort of longer form works to, to, to something digital? Yeah. When the, the, the kind of at least here for digital experience has been shorter, more condensed, you know, more Absolutely. diffuse. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, well, so then, you know, as we've been talking about this, tell us, tell us what's ahead for territory. What's ahead for Tommy? Um, where is this stuff leading? Well, we have, um, so yeah, we have two more issues coming out this year. We have Treasure in Prisons. Treasure is actually, um, hopefully, uh, fingers crossed, will be coming out in early June, around June 1st or something like that. And um, I'll just give a quick plug for it um, as quick as I can. Uh, what, what's exciting is we're actually, in the, in the theme of uh, sort of special inserts, um, we're going to be planning a treasure hunt um, throughout the issue. So we've um, actually agreed to... Um, been working with with Albert Goldbarth, um, the poet and essayist, who is kind of famously and, and, and well known for never um, never doing anything digitally. He doesn't own a computer. He doesn't do email. Um, but he's agreed. Uh, he's, he sent us a, a, a great poem um, 
and we're going to kind of hide it throughout the issue. Um, so, and this is still kind of very much in the works. Um, but we'll be asking contributors when they or, or readers when they go through the issue to kind of hunt um, for each line of his poem. It's 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 not a sonnet, but it's fourteen lines long. Um, and once they hunt for the poem, they're going to reassemble it and uh, onto their own screen. And there they'll have um, kind of assembled together a, a, a Goldbarth um, treasure. And what's fun for us there is, is again, that idea of, of um, taking someone who at least works very much, um, you know, analog through print, um, who's sort of, a, 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 at least in my circle, a strong voice uh, and refreshing voice against the Internet um, to translate them. How can we translate them and, and still honor what they're about um, in this sort of digital sphere? So um, that's something we're really looking forward to. That sounds great. Um, and then for prisons, we're, we're also still in contact with a lot of prison writing programs as well. Um, and hoping to this, you know, another sort of tension is um, there's a lot of incarcerated writers um, or, or people who are incarcerated who, who are writing and who are, you know, um, working within these, these, these really great programs. Um, it seems sort of. It seems like we would miss the mark if we. Um, had an issue without including their voices. Um, so one thing we're working with is, is to kind of develop a prompt for these prison writing programs, um, send it off to them and then, and then ask for contributions back. And again, that's going to be sort of more work of, of, um, you know, taking a physical copy of something, whether that's a handwritten essay or story or a type story and, and, and translating that to, um, our journal. But that also seems that's something that we would like to do for that issue. Um, and it's something that maybe, you know, gets attention, but maybe not nearly enough attention. Um, so we're in the works to hopefully have that work out. Um, and as, as far as me, I have my first book coming out in November. Um, not about maps, <laughs> but a, a book of essays about resting places and cemeteries and memorials and catacombs and cryonic centers and, and um, all these places where we, you know, try to remember the dead. Um, and again, for me, that maybe um, I think what interests me there is, is what interests me about maps as well is that we have, um, you know, we, we think maps a lot of times are an accurate representation of reality. And I think we do the same thing for memorials or headstones or tombstones. We think like here lies this person, right? This is that person. Um, when really it's not that person, that person has become, you know, um, plants or trees or decomposed or as ashes or, you know, what have you. Um, but when we're, what we're really preserving is our reality or our memory of that person, which is, which is often very distorted from, from, you know, the actual or real thing. Um, and so I saw a lot of similarities between that and, and, and what kind of got me into maps. The monument is not the corpse. I guess. So, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I hope you'll come back and talk to us when that book comes out. Me too. If you'll, if you'll, yeah, if you'll have me. Well, Tommy Mira E. Lopez, thank you for being on the new books network. Thank you, Eric. It was a a pleasure. My name is Eric LeMay, and you've been listening to an interview with Tommy Mira E. Lopez, editor of the journal Territory on the New Books Network.